Joseph Blake on uh, piano. He's uh, the special guest on uh, Nathan's Freedom Zone today. So, how is it going, Joseph Blake? Really good. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. I like your podcast voice. Cool. <laughs> uh, Joseph is a friend that I had met last year after I moved here downtown. We bumped into each other. I don't know exactly how we met, but it was outside of Outland Ballroom in Springfield. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy, so we talked quite a bit. They don't actually have balls there. Yeah, no no balls at the Outland Ballroom. No balls there. Not like um, the ACDC song, Big Balls, nothing like that. Nope. It's kind of uh, of a bummer if you get get all dressed to the nines and show up and nobody's there for that. Was you did you play a song while you were there? Like, did you have your band there? Was that what it was? I was there with a, my roommates who were all in a band, and they were banding at the time, getting sweaty in front of strangers. Yeah, there's some cool bands there here and there occasionally. I saw some heavy metal bands last time. As soon as I walked in downstairs, I got roundhouse kicked in the chest because they were doing that moshing thing. Right. Where you don't pay attention to your surroundings. And then you hurt <laughs> people as, as a result. I mean, I, I, it wasn't even necessarily my fault because I just walked around the corner and it was like, bam, roundhouse kick. That's got to be a sign. <laughs> got to be something saying like, "Yeah, I, this I, is your heart. Something. I was, I smash it out here. It was very violent music. I still enjoyed it. But, you know, it was one of those bands where the lead singer is always talking about satanic terrible things i don't know why they do that sometimes i can still enjoy the music in spite of that not because of it right now no one can see um besides with their ears but we are eating freshly picked um spicy uh lettuce it's food that um tastes different than any other food that i've had in in months and um it's like uh it's got a lot of life in it, and it tastes, um, it's got three or four different flavors that normally get expunged through the the grocery process in a, in a store, and so I'm very thankful for it living and, and dying inside of my mouth so that I may live longer. I appreciate you, Lettuce. That's and right. Nathan. Yeah, you're welcome, and also thank you to the arugula that I, that, um, I grew. 
Thanks for growing and being so tasty, Arigula. The reason it's called Arigula is because that name means explosion or rocket. That name means rocket, and they call it that because it explodes with flavor whenever you grow it right. Wow. I, I grew it at my parents' house in a uh, garden that I've been working on for the last two months. And uh, Arugula does really good in Springfield. First, the heirloom kind from the Baker's Creek. You can order the seeds online or go to their festival and get some. And for those of you out there who don't know about the Fordland Seed Exchange at the first first Saturday of every month, I believe. Do you know which one it is? That sounds right. Friday or Saturday. There, there's a big one coming up in early May, too. I think it's Saturday. They do a big one. Yeah, and so you go out there and they'll feed you a free meal, which is awesome, and then get uh, world-class seats. People from all around the entire world uh, order through the Heirloom magazine catalog for their high-quality um, seeds that can reproduce once grown. No X-Men mutant seeds here. That's right. No GMO, hopefully. Uh, one thing that nice. I heard about organite as i've been doing a lot of organite recently i heard that with the scalar waves that it generates you can actually convert a gmo plant back into a normal plant no way that's what the guy who has been making it and researching it said and that and that sounds insane that's it? awesome <laughs> you said something to do with the the vibration that you know the plants know what their dna should be and the universe knows how it should be and if you get the right energy around them it'll go back to how it's supposed to be which That's sounds awesome. Sounds like a miracle. That's got to be applying to us too, right? Yeah. Like if we, I if, hope so. If we give our mutate our cells, they'll go back. Well, one most of our cells regenerate every three to six months, right? Except for like the slowest ones is the liver, or the kidneys, or the liver and the gallbladder. Those take the longest because there are filter systems. I learned this recently, so that's why it's so fresh. Hold it a little closer. Because it's like, well, I just didn't want to chew into people's faces. <laughs> to my face. Your face. But, uh, yeah. So we could probably unmutinize our cells, you know, through uh, attention. Yeah, definitely with your thoughts, too. One trick I learned is that you can actually mutinize your cells to do new good things. Like, if you learn about poison that's in the world... You can talk to your DNA and tell it to uh, create adap adaptations and mutations that will overcome whatever environmental violence or toxins. I mean, really? yeah, it's uh, sounds bizarre, but you start reading into how consciousness works and uh, the placebo effect, and like the notions of um, how responsive the physical universe is to your will, right, and your thoughts too, and. I, it's something that I sort of just made up that that I I think it works. But I used to when I would go running in Little Rock, I would tell my cells that they need to mutate and make me into a superhuman so that I can overcome the police state and all of the uh, chemtrail spraying and everything else. I was just about <laughs> to ask about that. Do you feel like you've told your body over time that you're going to be immune? Uh, uh, you're becoming immune to the heavy metals that are sprayed. Yeah, something like that. Um, just my whole consciousness in life needs to do something about it, and that's the advantage of actually paying attention to what's going on and not trying to completely run from and ignore the darkness like you're afraid of it. If Once you look, you can steel yourself against it and fortify your body and your consciousness. So one thing that I think helped with the whole heavy metal toxic thing is um, 
I've been really focused on organic gardening, and I have a bunch of cilantro plants in my backyard. And I just read online a month ago, I never knew it, but if you drink cilantro juice or just eat a bunch of cilantro, it'll remove like 80% of heavy metals. Just, really? Just cilantro by itself. Whoa. So maybe I maybe that happened for a reason. I don't know. And that's like a part of the – That's I would say that's a part of your like experiment in um, – like manually responsive conscious um, physical awareness. Those are all a bunch of words I just strung together. But okay, what I'm attempting to say is like whenever you are driving home a point to your cells, they find ways not only to mutate themselves to become more resistant to whatever it is that you're telling them to do or not resistant to what you're telling them to do, but resistant to the thing that um, is poisonous in this particular case that you are attempting to fortify them against. And then it'll also subconsciously bring other aid into your field of awareness um, through uh, through like external uh, reinforcements. And so like a part of you or the part of you that is like very connected with the all understood that cilantro was, um, you know, parallel to your request. And so that's why it came into your like awareness was because... Like you're like, I need to be, I need to get rid of heavy metals. What's something I can do to do that? And without you having to do it so consciously, since you were just like fortifying that notion with your will every single day, you brought it into your awareness, you know, physically. Yeah, now that I am aware of it on a conscious level, I can amplify that aspect of my defense system. And cilantro survived to the winter because the ones that I planted were from last fall and they're huge now. They're like, I already chopped them down a little bit, but I think they're two or three feet tall right now. And uh, I'm just going to plant uh, my entire garden bed at my house full of cilantro when the winter comes because I know that's one of the only ones that survived the whole winter. A couple of kale plants survived, and only a couple of arugula plants at my parents' house survived. There's other ones that will, but cilantro is an easy one, and apparently it's very powerful too. So I'm going to stick with that. Cilantro. That's... Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the uh, most important ways to garden is to just identify what works in your area. And it could be different for your yard compared to another person's yard because they might have a fence and you don't have a fence and therefore you'll have more rabbits or something and the rabbits will eat certain things. So you just rocks. So if something is being eaten up by bugs, then maybe you should just move on to something else because there's so many plants that you can plant. I mean, you'll find one if you keep trying. That'll work super, super good. If you just stick with those ones, that's a good strategy. Like this year I'm planting this arugula because last year it just did so good that I remembered that and I planted massive amounts of it at my parents' house. And it's paying off because we're eating a gigantic salad. It's delicious. Pure arugula. And uh, I had one of these yesterday and I had one the day before. I've been trying to eat all of it so it doesn't go to waste. I'm going to juice a bunch of it once it gets too out of control. It's already pretty big. I'll probably trade or buy some for them. Yeah, yeah, you should come and get some for free if you want to. Even after this, you could even we could go over there. My parents aren't home. Because then that'll go into the salad for teacher training this weekend, going up to Kansas City for the Kundalini thing. I wanted to point out a thing that is prevalent within our age group and within our like generation, our third wave of volunteers or whatever. Um 
a lot of us feel this apprehension to growing our own food um, for whatever small, minute fear. Um, a fear that really the only the only perspective I can be honest about is my own personal one, and perhaps how I've compared that or paralleled it to um, people around me um, who are in my own age group. But we seem at times, not all the time, to be afraid of growing our own plants for fear of rejection um, from uh, losing uh, time um, from failed efforts. And it's much more important, in my personal opinion, for us to try and fail and learn than it is to not try at all. Because you can spend your entire life um, waiting to take the antidote to whatever disease it is that disease that is afflicting your life or your mind um, fear-wise. And so it's, it's super important for us not to be afraid of making mistakes. Somewhere along the path um, from uh, being a child to adulthood, we uh, became afraid of making mistakes publicly, and the consequences and the shaming that is involved with being wrong is so very intense um, as an adult. It's almost worse to be wrong than it is to try in the first place. And that is not true with children because we all know that's how children learn. And so when a child messes something up or we're like, oh, you're just a child, you're going to do that all the time and that's totally fine. But as an adult, it, somehow we're not allowed to learn anymore because of the, the just be looking dumb is as almost as bad as doing the thing wrong. And so if we could bring that same philosophy um, to how we view other people when they're learning and making mistakes and to not promote any um, sort of self-judgment within other people, then it'll be easier to do it within yourself or whichever process you want to do first if you want to. I think it might even be more beneficial after I said that out loud to start with yourself and say, you know, I, I'm i going to not be so hard on myself when making mistakes as a human, as a person learning, because that's the only way that I do learn is through mistakes and and just because I'm, my body is older, that doesn't take away from my imagination or my ability to learn new things. And learning new things involves making mistakes, and that is okay. Yeah, and your body can come back from horrible mistakes. Like, it's very resilient, and it can regenerate itself on the cellular level and all kinds of levels. And... uh like a mistake that I made the other day was making my organite. I wasn't using a respirator mask outside because I thought that it being outside and kind of windy and I had a fan going, I thought it would just blow all the poison away because the resin is made out of fiberglass. It's a plastic resin, polyester. So it's extremely toxic, and it the fumes come off it very, very strong. For bonding fiberglass, right? Mm-hmm. So I got a little bit of that in my lungs, uh, a little bit of plastic in there. <laughs> not a big deal, though. I know I'm not worried about it. And we can even do a short meditation for about five seconds to focus on my lungs to to get the plastic out. So all the listeners do this, too. Focus on my lungs and the toxic plastic particles in there. And we'll focus for about five seconds and clean it all out. Or just lungs in general, like all the lungs everywhere, yeah. just like the holding lungs. Joseph's lungs, too. And, yes, every other person's lungs. All the lungs. With the chemtrails. And everything and everything that's in lungs because there, there's a lot of bad stuff in there. I'm like, I'm like training for a. Let's just do it right now. Ready? Okay. Feel free to breathe. 
My lungs feel a lot better already. I feel pretty good, too. That definitely worked. What we just did is actually a form of time travel. I do this a lot on my podcast. You have the future listeners focus on something in the present moment while we're recording, like I did it with the Fukushima reactor. And then anyone who listens in the future, we now just pull their energy and their healing energy into the past. It's time travel. Whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I already feel better. Uh, one thing I'm going to do to help my lungs, I'm going to put some of those anti-cancer uh, cannabinoids in there. I only do that, you know, every few weeks, but it's been a couple weeks. I'm waiting maybe until I'm done with my dissertation because I don't really don't want to screw my energy up before my dissertation. I could afford a mistake afterwards, but I'm trying to get through this whole defense process as fast and uh, smoothly as I can. So I, mean, I haven't been taking any chances, but I might take a little bit of a chance because it is 420, and I do have a little bit of cancer from that um, <laughs> plastic stuff. Not we just got a the majority of it out. We did. It was it was amazing. But those cannabinoids, they can they're always a little bit helpful when you're not abusing them. Whatever you got to tell yourself, man. I think that like the cannabinoid spirit has been. Um, I believe in this pathway thing, right? So the more that any we're all animals in the same like sense that's in um, birds. They're like born with the knowledge of when to fly south, and they, no one. There's not a, like a class where all birds go when they're a certain age, with like a whiteboard, and they're like, one day you will all fly south, and it will be very important for you to stay alive. Now they just know to do it, and so like it's like a pathway thing. So the more that a a, a creature does a thing, it creates like an energetic pathway, since there's no time and space, and it becomes easier in the future for that same species. Uh, or animal or creature or whatever to do that same thing so it's like a like a pattern in your house like you cook a certain way and so every time that you cook that meal breakfast or whatever it's easier to do and so many people have smoked so much marijuana in the world that it's so very easy to do so within the collective unconscious we have this huge creature that is fed constantly these like i'm great positive vibes and so it's easy um so it's very it's it's very strong like large part of the the race right now is like uh, the cannabinoid nature but it is an inhibitor always remember that it's an inhibitor um, it shuts down processes um, and your ability to utilize certain parts of your brain which is almost uh, it's always a it's always it's never um, an absolute for every person it's going to affect every person differently at, at different stages and some people need to take a break from processes that have been going on for a long time and some people have just turned those back on and that are utilizing those now and don't need to shut them off and so just be aware of 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 how things affect you and and use your internal instincts as opposed to any sort of um global tendency all no matter how much momentum it has yeah there's a lot of those global spirits alcohol is one of the uh oldest and most powerful and also most damaging some of them you don't you don't you have to use in balance or you have to be careful with uh overdoing it alcohol being one of the you know the main ones as far as that the way that you know that it's bad is that it damages life forms especially if you purify it to like uh 95 and throw it on just about any life life form it'll just destroy it instantly so it's uh something to just be careful with 
I'll occasionally have a little bit, but choosing the right spirits to help you. Like right now, we're having some arugula. That's a spirit. The pattern and the definitely affecting our voices on the podcast. Just having this uh, vibration in here, I think it's a good vibration. And so, whoever yeah. listened to this in the future, right? Who really um, thought like, "Oh, I'm going to go get some arugula," you know those vibes have um, an instant impact right now and so we keep bringing it up because someone might have listened to this and really benefited from having their arugula in their life and so that's why it's like (laughs) reiterating its presence because it was like hey you mentioned me once and then I did some work and now you can mention me again to say thank you what would be really crazy is if one of the listeners also happened to be eating a gigantic arugula salad during while they first heard this podcast, <laughs> and we bring up that it's a synchronicity. Right, right now we're <laughs> right. doing that. Yeah, it's synchronous. If you were eating a salad before you knew to eat a salad as a good thing, I, you know, whatever the case may be, good job. That, that means you. There's a reason why you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. And even if you're not eating a salad, because it might just motivate you to go get yourself a fresh arugula salad. Or to make a podcast about feeling free. That's true. Yeah. Podcasting is a, a good wave of the future. Better than doing nothing. Right. <laughs> get your voice out there. I know somebody's listening. One of you. One of you sick bastards likes to hear what I always have to say on my mind. I know one of you does. does. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm not the only freak. <laughs> jo- Joseph probably hasn't listened to my podcast, so he has, he hasn't been up to speed on all of the crazy stuff that I say on it. But well, if I spend like a very small amount of time around you, I get a notion or a window into your world. That's true. And See? you may label it personally as freakish, <laughs> and some people may label it as futuristic, and some people may label it as um um. Optimistic. I like those labels. Or pessimistic. Sometimes pessimistic. I, only sometimes. I'm, I've been getting a lot better. Depends on how I am in my karma and everything. My last episode before this, I was a little bit pessimistic, but I felt so much better after it was over that it was actually optimistic, just letting it out. Word. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even expect to feel that much better. But right before I recorded it, I was on Jay Parker's live radio show, which instantly brought my vibe way, way up. Just calling into his show. Word. It's the power of synergistic and communication and syncing up and everything. That whole like bird flock thing, but with humans. You know, we're all like we're affecting the the group mind, the hive. For the queer uh, collective subconscious. Just by us doing this together. It's a good thing to do. I've been thinking about bees a lot lately. Oh, yeah? What about them? Um, well, like one teaspoon or two teaspoons is like the lifetime work of 10 bees or something like that. Wow. Serious business. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And so there's like bee elitism that happens because like um, they understand, uh, the hive understands whether they can support a certain number of bees when it comes to wintertime. And so sometimes they'll shut out a good number of the worker bees to to freeze out and die in the wintertime. Um, if they know they can't feed them during the frost. And so uh, for the queen, really, um, sometimes entails a small amount of bee elitism. But it is, um, 
necessary, you know. And I was thinking, I was talking to my friend Jordan, who I, I do wish he has a chance to pod here or in, at another time or something like that. We were talking about, um, like, it's uh, their whole lives are centered around sex, and when they finally have that sex, they, like, die right afterwards. Not their whole lives centered around it in a sense that that's, like, the one goal, but uh, it is uh, their... Uh, Every other, like interspecies relationships, like other species besides other bees want their honey. You know, there's not a lot of species that have to protect their vital birthing liquids um, from other species. Most of the time it's within interspecies relationships. Like, um, Like the birthing fluids for humans don't have to be defended against bears or wolves or butterflies. You know what I mean? And so I, th- I think it's really intense that like bees have this notion, this greater notion of group mind that they've cultivated to be able. They they literally will sacrifice. One day, you will die for the queen. You know, they just like they know, they know what it means to live by a um, a greater cause. Well, those are very, very interesting B facts. wasn't really aware of all of that. So, do you think that it is their sexual output that is what the honey is? I don't even know how honey is made, but that's very interesting. I don't really know. Um, I know it's like a birthing. It's like how the baby bees, what the baby bees are born into. The queen, like uh, after having sex with one worker bee, which is like the most ecstatic and erotically charged super experience for that worker bee i mean you know he's like the luckiest bee out of all of the bees but they don't look at look at it like that they're like one of us will be the great male you know and then the great male dies immediately after the sex because it's so awesome with the queen and so the queen goes around to all of the work that the worker bees have built like all the catacombs and then she like has the children within the honey and like the honey chambers you know, I could I could be wrong about this, but this is how I learned it. Um, besides, like dancing to talk to each other, which is a way badass way to like communicate, um, and well, to draw maps, they communicate just by like hive knowledge. You know, when there's like bee blood in the air, they they just like they're that at that moment they're willing to sacrifice their lives for the good of the hive. You know, they know that once they sting something, that they're going to die from that, from losing their stinger. They only have one sting. But it's, if you kill one of the bees, then you get attacked by a bunch of bees, and they're all, like, ready to die. For the queen! And so it's, um, I, I think it's the birthing juice. Honey is birthing juice, bee birthing juice for the children. And so, like, we're, like, stealing their ability to procreate which happens in a very rare manner. And they sell queens, you know, they like freeze and sell queens and transfer them, or we do, humans do, to the bees. Um, so I guess they can freeze, uh, cryogenically freeze a, a queen bee, and then it'll come back to life when they unfreeze it? Is, is kind of like Ender's Game. <laughs> like at the end of Ender's Game, he like had to fight this bug race, and then they like, Telekinetically, uh, not telekinetically, psychically communicated to him the vastness of their race and the fact that they were sentient and they were, they were all just one consciousness, like 
Their hive mind was only one mind, and they all thought as one entity. They were just fingers of the same hand. And so when they were defeated by the humans in the spaceships, um, Ender was the like leader or the commander, but he was a child at the time who had been tricked into being the commander because he thought he was in training the whole time. But it turns out the video simulation that he was playing was actually like actually fighting with real fighters and real like space bugs. And so he eventually won the space bugs because he wasn't attached to the humans that were dying in his like digital hand. And um, they, they, they sent him a dream. And in this dream, they showed him the location of the last remaining queen of their race and that he was now tasked with either letting this entire civilization, this planetary scaled um, life form, die out completely and be obliterated or to take this queen egg and plant it on a, on a planet that they can thrive on. Um, and so after he realizes what he's done by accident, he goes out and finds another home for the queen egg thing. One more thing about this whole bee thing. I think as humanity starts to make better choices and get closer to source and loving, loving vibration and higher vibration, the planet will... Uh, get less and less chaotic, and I think the procession of the equinoxes might be more, less extreme to where there will be less winter and there will be more and more tropical and less changes, less violent changes in the seasons because the seasons come from the earth having a procession of the equinoxes where it's spinning sort of like a top that's about to fall. And I think as humans make better choices, the top will get more and more stable to where the equator is not shifting up and down and in, in alignment with the sun, and it's just exactly um, centered on the sun, kind of. And then we won't really have seasons anymore, and then there won't be this violent um, sort of survival game every every winter where uh, because the plants aren't growing as much, the animals start to look at each other as enemies and almost and try to consume each other and the same thing for the bees like in the winter because it gets colder all the bees there's a little bit of scarcity in the hive and if we think about it on an individual bee level there might be certain bees that are higher or lower level of consciousness and some of them may be uh, satanic bees who want to leave all of the other bees out of the out of the house because they're so afraid that they won't have enough room for themselves or, or enough honey and they might even be so satanic that they just want to pig out on the honey all winter and eat the most honey of any bee because they might think that they need to propagate their genes the more than all the other bees and that's the only thing that matters and they want to be the the only bee that gets to be with a queen bee and so so they might become violent bees and then just force the other bees out during the winter because they know it'll get rid of their competition when really there might have been enough room inside of the hive for all the other for a lot more bees but because a few of them are super satanic and selfish and the problem with that is that the rest of the bees in the hive need to identify the psychopath bees and um, stand up to it and force that bee out if it's going to act in a way that is against natural law. It's a balance, but, you know, just another deeper level of thinking about that. Right, and hey, man, you know, right now winter is such a necessary thing for all the other things that um, have outgrown themselves and are, like, needing to die and to be recycled back into the ground. Do you think that'll happen once the top stops spinning oblongly? Uh, 
are the top stops wobbling and like it kind of balances out? Do you think that we'll experience the necessary cycle of growth and decay that winter brings, but throughout the course of the year instead of be, being concentrated into one section? Well, I don't even know if, if, if the top is perfectly balanced, if there will even be a need for that death cycle. Like uh, the lifespans will probably be extended a lot more for all of the species. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because the procession right now lasts uh, 27,000 years. And there is old legends of people living to be 900 years old, you know, like from the Bible, which was a long time ago. And it could be that they just happened to be in a higher vibration version of Earth at that timeline where people were more moral and understood natural law better. And that therefore they were spiritually allowed to, to have longer lives. I think that's how it works myself. I think so too. The more that you abide by natural law, it grants you the ability to sustain yourself within the plane because that's what the plane wants from itself is to have a shepherd like you, someone who is a law abiding. Right, natural thing. law abiding. Yeah. Bees. So the, this kind of goes back into the whole alcohol abuse thing because al abusing alcohol is actually in violation of natural law because you're damaging your own microorganisms and body. And you have to pay the full karmic price of that. Besides, your um, your consciousness pays a price for it because it's directly connected to that life, which is not really you. See, your microorganisms are separate from you. They're, own, they're their own consciousness. And for you to go and destroy them for pleasure, which is what an alcoholic tends to do, that has karmic consequences, and that'll lower lo your lifespan dramatically well okay now what what nathan just said really affected my life when i first met him because now there's like there's something to be taken with a grain of salt in this particular notion because you just said that your lifespan will be dramatically affected by this karmactic process now before i argue that point or whether whether it's like i before i validate it or not i want to bring up here is now a notion of ignorance of what Who's at fault when ignorance is in play? Okay, so after after I met you and we had that conversation, I started really paying attention to what happens to my micro colonies, right? My like consciousness colonies that are not me, that are living inside of my body and on my body, and I started really tending to like their karmic process and like what it feels like to be at the whim of me, and so like I think about it like if I was living in a city and then the whole city made a decision. And I'm affected by that damn decision now, you know, there's nothing I can, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm like just a member of this community and the whole community made a decision with or without me. So then I thought about, so like, um, there's a natural cycle of what happened with me was that I was going to hear this conversation and be a part of this conversation with Nathan. And then I was going to go do a bunch of yoga and eat vegetarian and but was go, what was going to happen unbeknownst to me and the bacteria living on my body was that I was going to be thrown into a situation where in order for me to burp arugula and sustain myself, I needed to go work and make um, money with the money jobs, right? And in order to do that, my current line of work involves going to festivals and um, providing a service. And traveling takes a lot out of you. Um, it's very difficult in this particular time zone or timeline uh, to me with my own financial status to continue a completely vegetarian di diet with completely organic materials um, un un untainted by 
um, things that are going to cause massive, you know, microbiological detriment to me. And so, you know, a natural cycle came through where I needed to go make money and these things had to happen. And it, I really beat myself up for like eating at Mexican restaurants when I didn't have any food because I ran out of money for ice to keep the cooler and the fresh veggies good, you know, and I was buying vegetables from grocery stores when I could, but, you know, sometimes I needed to, like, I, I avoided gas station purchases at all costs, but, you know, cliff bars are not that great for you. I'm, I'm tangenting. The, the point is, you are responsible for the karma or for the for the consciousness that lives inside of your body, and the more aware you are of that, the more respect you have for life on a level that is, like, not as... The consequences aren't as apparent and straight up in your face. You know, you you have a dog or a cat, and something happens to the dog or a cat. It really affects you because one, you can see the dog, and you know where the dog is, and you have an emotional relationship with the dog. You know, you have the same relationship with gazillions of life forms that are living inside of your body. So whenever you harm your body on purpose, you're like. Um, you're hurting something that's innocent, you know, and so, but that weight is the power of God because we have will and we're using our will, um, to experience life. And a part of experience life is intentionally poisoning your body. You know, our society is built on, um, poisons. The reason why we have cities and colonies, um, is because of, um, celebratory festivals, right? We have seasonal festivals. It's in our DNA to celebrate every so often. The the, the pagan Sabbaths, um, the Roman cultures had tons of festivals almost every three weeks, you know, for all of their gods and goddesses. And so it's ingrained in our biological technology in order for us to celebrate. And a lot of the ways that we celebrate is an overindulgence of alcohol. Um, alcohol is a poison. Coffee is a poison. Tobacco is a natural pesticide. People nowadays, this is a tangent, but they they always talk about organic tobacco, and that's like, oh, we didn't use pesticides on our tobacco. That's like saying that rocks are gluten free. Of course, they're gluten free because they're rocks. You know, tobacco doesn't need to be protected from insects because it will kill insects if the insects land on the tobacco. That is like a natural thing that's already happened. So there's like selling you these organic tobacco that's hilarious. Like, oh, wow, I'm glad I wasn't, you know, I'm smoking this cool tobacco as, as opposed to the evil tobacco over there. Um, but the notion is that uh, there's a weird tantric balance to the to death and uh, how it's apparently necessary for our advancement. And it's just important that we bring into our awareness what we're capable of doing and how we're kind of like an overlord to um, consciousness on a smaller, more animalistic level below us within our bodies. And so more respect is brought to the natural processes of piloting your body, but you can't avoid killing and dying of cells and on the cellular level that's unavoidable, and you shouldn't rot yourself with guilt by doing something that was going to happen anyway. Um, Right, because we we are very far away from the source and the perfect, perfect anarchy with all life forms. It's very far away, and we can make slow slow progress to that. But you know, if you have a screw up, the universe will give you second chances over and over again, even if you die. Because one of the upsides of death 
is that you get teleported your consciousness into a, a new body or location in the universe that more matches whatever vibration you had and what lessons you learned in this life. And I think you that'll give you a chance. You know, if you get to really high levels and everyone around you on this planet is like super, super low level and you get kind of tired of that, maybe if they just um, murder you or something, then you, your body would teleport into this much better place where you could start learning new lessons and, and be surrounded by new and better friends. That's like a new spin on the Salem witch trials. Yeah. All, the, all those all those beings were like, okay, I um, I did my best here. I would like to leave now. And so they like practiced something that was natural, and then they got burnt for it, and then they got moved to another plane that was more conducive to their lessons. Yeah, or even maybe the Jesus story kind of fits that description too because Jesus being a perfect being is what Christians say, which uh, to me it seems to be impossible like Joseph was just saying to be a perfect being while on this this plane of existence where you know everything's physical and you were walking around accidentally stepping on little insects and stuff I mean if you want to take it down to that level of natural law or yeah if you drink wine you know too much wine especially you know that's not perfection <laughs> there's so many ways to be imperfect that uh, you, you can't avoid them all in this lifetime you can try you to avoid the main ones which is like hurting other, you know, high-level beings. Like if, if, if one of your main hobbies is just hunting animals, you know, just for fun, then maybe you should stop that if you want. <laughs> that would be a good one to focus on because there's plenty of other things you can do. <laughs> right. If that's like, you know, I think it's about maybe like scale. It's scaling the effect of your influence into arbitrary and necessary modalities. So like since hunting is much less of a necessary thing um, as the time progresses, even though time progressing in the direction, that direction is, is more rapid than before. Like say we needed to be hunters and gatherers for a really, really long time and then suddenly everything changed because of the telescoping nature of evolution. We have to kind of adapt really quickly to that, but that's no still no excuse to being like, well, what about the old ways that we were doing things? You know, it's just a you'll know in your stomach and in your heart whether you're doing something for arbitrary pleasure or you're doing something um, that's natural, whether that be positive or negative. Yeah, one of the ultimate truths of natural law is that there is actually never any valid excuses for evil. Even on the micro level, like you always get the karmic consequence of the natural laws, but it's your choice. And, you know, we're all stuck in our karma here far away from source. But that at the same time, there is never any excuse for any act of evil. Even the salad that I'm eating right now, there's no excuse because I killed all those poor arugulas. I mean, I planted them, so that helps. But <laughs> I still murdered them, and I can hear each of their little screams every time. Every time I crunch and chew them. But it's not as bad as uh, killing animals, I don't think. Because, I don't know. It's hard to say. I'm not God. I there, don't know what it's like to be. You're like a God. finger of God, though. It's like your will to start to understand like your power as God's power. And so like this is a place where I'm at often is like this like impasse of like, okay, how, how can I determine whether it's more or less bad to kill a higher or lower consciousness being like i have to respect my place in the food chain that works because I, my body will deteriorate and my natural body is made to ingest arugula and so in a way 
its life is made valid and validated by dying to keep a higher existence going on. And the reason why that becomes such an okay thing in my mind is because when we die as humans, something above us, a greater hand, will benefit from our spirit, spirit moving. But as you pointed out earlier, it will be a much less violent um, transition of energy. So like right now, like lower forms that we eat seems to be like, oh, this is their death and it's pretty violent and stuff. But I too shall be delivered to a mightier hand when I die. So something's going to eat me, you know, and then be furthered. One crazy scientific fact that sort of actually validates what I said was that if you fast, which is where you don't eat anything, and if you do it consistently, your lifespan increases. So it's like because you're not taking on the karma of eating – and it's been scientifically proven in animal models. Uh, you just do intermittent fasting, which is like there's many ways to do it. One way is you just don't eat anything for 24 hours, so about once a week or so. It depends on the person. But if you do that, the, in the animal tests, they saw the animal's lifespan would increase like 30 or 40 percent. So <laughs> that just totally matches with the whole theory that you know getting less karma means you're going to get less damage to your own consciousness and you'll be gifted with more spiritual life. Like this is another um, solution to where if you're traveling and the only food available is really terrible food, you could always try to do a little bit of a fast until better food becomes available because you would be surprised how long your body can actually last without food. And I try it here and there. For me, after about a day, it gets to be where um, a day is really the, kind of the limit for now. One time I went two days. And for skinny people, it is a lot more difficult because the metabolism is so fast. Get headaches and stuff. Yeah. Um, some people, though, you can push through that initial stage, which lasts like one to three days, and then you get onto this um, effect where you don't even you're not even hungry anymore, and you can last like a week or two. Right. Like it's a very common thing, an extended fast. I've never done it, but it's supposed to be very very beneficial, and it'll reset your entire immune system and make you um, stronger especially when you start eating again. But it totally matches that theory of not getting karma because I think one of the main sources of karma for humans is eating. I mean, naturally, but, you know, there's higher, there's actually a lot worse karma, you know, killing each other <laughs> for fun. That's probably one of the main um, sources in this world. You know, if we could just get to where we're just eating stuff, that would be such an increase in our karma that the difference would be completely amazing, you know. If we just ate, even if it was animals, even if it was animals, it would still be a benefit to at least leave the other humans alone and not just kill them, the animals for fun. Actually kill them because you are eating them and try not to treat them so terribly during their lives. If you're a farmer, like, you know, the big factory farmers, that's a lot worse karma treating the animals that way. If anybody's ever seen the videos of the big factory farms. Yeah, those are awful. Yeah. But when you're fasting... Drink milk. A friend of mine just finished a 200-hour yoga teacher training in Rishikesh, and she came back from India recently. And the teachers there said really promoted fasting and said that's an excellent way to um, reset your body. And my friend Paul is talking about how the pain that you're experiencing, like you might get a pain in your stomach or a pain in your brain or a pain in your chest or arms or whatever, that's your body is uh, healing itself in a, in a way that it's like... Um, um, it's like pulling out toxins and reutilizing um, 
its natural ability to uh, cycle out old and dead cells that's necessary for its growth. And But drink milk. Whenever you're fasting, especially if you're going for the past three-day point, like Nathan was talking about, um, where your body starts to hit this stride that it can go for a really long time, drinking milk is important to getting you through the first few days, and you can decide whether it's appropriate for you to not drink milk after day four or five. But if you decide to fast, ease into it, you know. Don't have a gigantic meal and then be like, oh, I'm done, and then... Uh, Go straight into your fast, like taper off the day before or two days before with just smaller, tinier meals and getting smaller and smaller until you just, you don't eat. And then it's very, very valuable. Um, and so like today, yesterday I had um, one meal of the same type of dish. And then this morning I got um, like uh, impatient and I woke up late and I was frustrated with myself because I was used to doing like a bunch of practices, but I'm also trying to slow those down. So there's parts of myself that are battling. But the point is I ate two eggs and then a protein shake. And then I immediately felt super, super sick because I had ate so light the day before. And then I nailed myself with protein, too much protein. And I felt awful. I felt sick to my stomach. So I drank a bunch of fiber water. And fiber is a good balancing for all the sugars that were in the protein powders. And um, it's very important for you to pay attention to your body, of course, at all times. But um, don't, uh, don't, don't try to overload it with heavy stuff when you've been eating light. And don't try to eat really light really, really fast when you've been eating really heavy. Yeah, and the, the foods that you choose matter. Like, I find that... Animal foods in general are typically denser and have more karma associated with them, especially depending on where they come from, really. Eggs. Yeah, eggs, um, if they're coming from the factory farm, it's going to have a lot worse karma than a small farmer who's nice to the chickens. And Same same with dairy cows, but in general, um, things that come from animal slavery do have a lot worse karma usually, but that's not. it's just a rule of thumb because other things like rice and corn – they also have terrible karma, especially Monsanto corn, because the way that that's grown is they have to completely demolish all of the landscape and all of the natural uh, nature to make room for the cornfield a lot of times. And that destroys a lot of animals' homes and just nature in general. And sometimes the soil itself, which is full of microbes, is destroyed with the way that uh, Monsanto grows a lot of the gigantic monocrops, is what it's called, destroys the soil and it that's definitely got karma. It goes, it gets through that food. So don't don't think that just because you're vegan means you're not getting karma. I mean, I think all food has at least some level of karma associated with it. But it's about doing the best that you can, you know, in your life situation. And you don't have to be super judgmental about other people, um, because we're all in the karma cycle together. But you can be a little bit judgmental and at least realize, you know, recognize the karma when you see it, and maybe offer a them an alternative option you know that's an extremely important point not to um, not to be judgmental of other people's process that is um, um, more valuable than being right is to to be kind and to observe you know um, I used to think that being right was a form of the ultimate form of love and so when I saw someone doing something that I didn't believe was beneficial to their process. I passed a godlike judgment on what they should and should be doing, and that in itself is an act of um, negative karma in my particular perspective. Because you're um, 
preventing someone from learning a lesson on their own by trying to uh, force an ideology on them that they would come to naturally when they're ready for it. And so if, if someone asks you and it feels very natural for you to share your process and they feel like they're ready for it, then they'll ask you and come to you and then that process will take root in their lives and it'll actually count. You know, they'll remember it and really do it. But if you, if you evangelize about your eating habits and how it's very bad for you to eat unconsciously and just consume and consume and consume and then wonder why you feel so ridiculous and are going through all these ridiculous things in your life, um, you know, you're going to stay in that cycle until you're ready to get out of it. Um, if somebody comes along and says, you're wrong, you know, that might that might alert you to some sort of change, but you have to make the change. And um, there's plenty of warning signs to listen to for, for people. So it's it's not always best to try to correct people. And that's something I've been learning. And it's kind of hard to watch people fall on their faces instead of trying to catch them. But if they fall on their face, then they'll remember and they won't do it again. It's the whole Christian fisher of men thing, teach a man to fish and then he'll be able to feed himself as opposed to like fishing for him every day then you can only fish for one or a, you know you can only fish for a certain number of people and provide for a certain number of people but if you teach people while you move along then you can help people provide for themselves which is much more sustainable in a long term sense yeah there it's a balance I, th I think offering someone the truth when they're getting off of the correct path it's a good thing to do, and it will increase your karma. But you don't want to get to to where you're trying to physically force people, you know, from from making a mistake, unless you're defending, you know, an innocent life, and and you're not being a hypocrite about it. That's a big, a big subtlety here. Like, if you uh, yesterday, you know, or today, you were just got done hunting or farming animals, and then you want to, you know forcibly stop another person from doing that same thing when you just just finish doing it and then you take it to the point where you'll actually kill that other person just to stop them from doing something that you just did that's probably bad karma okay, that's probably not, <laughs> not very good <laughs> but at the same time you could say you know i i used to believe that i needed to do that and then i found out i don't need to and you, you don't really need to either and if you don't you'll get better karma just just saying they might hear you and then they might have to learn on their own the hard way and i think if you if you at least get half of them the truth that's that's helpful an example of this is uh on the internet on facebook i was offering somebody the truth who their son was joining the military and the marines and I wasn't really pulling any punches, but I wasn't arguing with them. I was just offering the truth because I felt like it was a moral responsibility for them to at least know what the military is. From your perspective. From my perspective. And I think really the, and the ultimate truth of the way I perceive it, uh, the military is a death cult. And joining the military is like signing a death wish for somebody else or for yourself. It's going to get bad karma even if you don't die. I mean, they're going to drill you around and they're going to make you uh, their slave. And they're going to try to break you down in your personality, and they're going to try to turn you into an order-following psychopath. And that's just not going to be pleasant for anybody to go through, I wouldn't think. So I just, I was sort of gently telling them, you know, about what the military was. And for the most part, they were kind of rejecting it, maybe not all of them. Because I had been through this one round, and they didn't defriend me. So 
it's almost like they wanted to see what I was going to say and they kept they kept posting about it and I and I let him cool off for you know a week or so and I kept seeing the posts about the military thing and then finally today I was like okay round 2 and so they posted a picture of their son in the marines and I posted on there that uh something about the he's uh not him specifically but I said, like, ready to kill and or ready to die for big oil, big pharma, and big banking. So that's that's me laying my little uh, message out, truthful message out, because I that's how I perceive the the military to be, you know, controlled by and working for. So and, truth or not truth, that is uh, Nathan's version of gentle. Uh, <laughs> well, and so like I I am completely. Um, I completely uh, support all of those notions as truth, but that I do not support the notion of attempting to enter into some sort of internet argument about uh, the choices that have already been made within another person's path. It's uh, completely futile in my personal perspective to be able to try to, to – not to be able to, but to try to affect another person's decision-making process um, no matter how fortunate or unfortunate that is, you know, from from my perspective, sometimes like my heart really wants to be on the side of what Nathan has already done and be like, yes, this is the truth. This is what is happening. Um, but there's also another part of me and I'm not saying which one I agree with and I'm not saying which one is right or wrong because I don't know. But there's another part of me who's like, hey, man, um, that's like something that they've got to figure out on their own. They're not going to read a Facebook post and then pull their son out of the military. And that's just not going to happen. Well, exactly. That's see. That's why he's still in the military. But if they were to have at least, you know, what the magic words I put did go into their consciousness, and depending on whether or not they talked to their son about, you know, you know, maybe maybe I affected their thought processes a little bit, and maybe even telepathically, they might not have been a, they might have been too afraid, or maybe not. They might have went to their son and after reading some of the things that I was mentioning in a factual way, and I also posted Mark Passio's video, the, the Cult of Ultimate Evil, Order Followers and the Destruction of the Sacred Feminine, where he really breaks down what the dynamic of order following is and how it's being used to destroy humanity. If they were actually to actually have watched that, which I offered it to them, and they might have watched it for all I know. I hope they did. We'll say they did. Then they might have all of a sudden realized how dangerous of a situation it was, and they might actually have just mentioned to their son, you know, if there was, if they order you to do something that is against your conscience, and that's not what Jesus would have done, don't do it, because they're not going to kill you. They're just, you don't have to anything to prove. You know, just go through it, and uh, if you feel like you're doing the right thing, well, then I guess do it. But if you ever feel like they're trying to get you to do something that you know Jesus wouldn't do, don't, don't do, do it. it. <laughs> I feel like. Nathan, you are a part of an energy wave, right? And so you're not doing it alone. There's a whole wave of energy that is trying to tell this family the truth, and you are a part of that. There's a whole collection of entities that are putting their efforts towards revealing and illuminating the truth for these families who believe that they're doing the right moral decision by sending their children to defend, their, um, to defend the sanctity of the land that they grew up on and that they want their children to grow up on. And so there with the dissolute with the illusion with with the coming disillusionment of the political systems um, we're not alone. We are not alone in the movement of truth at all. 
we have the we have galactic backing, if you will, um, from our uh, fertile resources on this planet being so violently harvested all the time. And so it's it's a weird it's a weird impasse, man. I do want to just mention just like one one final thing that most people believe they're doing the right thing all the time, even in their hearts if they know that it's wrong. That's going up against what they've been going, what the momentum of their their supposed lie that they've believed their whole lives, and so it's it's important to respect that thing that's in all of us. No matter if you are in the death cult or not, you believe that you're doing the what's best for you and everything else. And the and the and when you're when when you when you wise up to your own instincts and realize that you're not a part of the best thing, you have a choice at that moment whether to leave it or not yeah that's a good very good point and i hear i hear a quote often that 99 percent of the time the bad guys think that they're the good guys you know because the culture and the mind control and everything and i'm not saying that i even did it the best way possible because there's a, an entire spectrum of what the magic words are and which ones are going to be more effective than others and maybe by me posting the first right off the bat that you know they're working for big pharma and big uh oil, big money and big oil and stuff maybe you know i said ready to die for big pharma big oil maybe that was not the correct magic word i mean it had some effect all magic words have effect even the negative ones but there might have been better ones that i could have just started with that would have got more of the effect that i was looking for like one i just thought of was i could have just said be sure to tell your son while he's in the military to not do anything that jesus wouldn't have done even if he's ordered to like that might have been right. a much more effective magic word, but part of the process is getting on the battlefield so that you can get practice with your magic words and then think about it afterwards and make improvements on your thinking and the way that you present your information. And, you know, I don't know. Absolutely. I think if you're on the battlefield doing the great work, you will start to make improvements and your skill level will go up. So I think I just leveled up a little bit just in that connection. And Joseph helped me there with that one, you know calling me out on maybe that being a little too harsh right up front on that one <laughs> another i want to like comment maybe on magic words really quick mm -hmm. uh i find that the most benevolent outcomes uh come from a non-egoic stance so if you are ready to put forth effort that has a subtle effect or a magical effect that you have no attachment to its outcome and you are not worried about the credibility um, being granted to you or to any other being whatsoever if you're not working for the benefit of uh, publicity for a lack of a better word then the magic seems to have a, a much larger effect in my personal opinion I've noticed that if I work from a place of personal gratification it usually has a smaller effect on the world and if I if I work from a universal love place um, it has a larger effect and so um, what you were talking about with uh, don't do anything that Jesus wouldn't do. What that's doing is utilizing their terminology that they would be most comfortable with and then implanting the magical intention of the truth that you're attempting to illuminate without any sort of egoic agenda behind it. And what that does is have a massive effect on their psyches as opposed to like something that is seen as an attack. Because right. whenever you're in an attack mode, you are perpetuating the thing that you're trying to stop. You know, it's like I, I'm going to break up this fight by beating the crap out of one of the people. You know, that's just that's like the opposite of what you're trying to do. 
Yeah, there's good or there's better and there's worse ways to diffuse any type of violent situation. And uh, as you, as you progress spiritually, you learn what the right ones. Are. I might even go go on there on Facebook, and maybe even apologize a little bit, and then pr plant that new magic word in just to see if the dynamic changes. And I feel like you know my my um, motivation here is not you know very ego based. It's another spectrum. How much ego is involved? So everyone has at least a tiny amount of ego involved in just about everything they do. So there was a small amount of ego on my part. It's hard to say put a number on it or anything. But the main motivation I think for me was just you know actually putting the right magic words out there so that we can get out of this uh, dimension because I view it as the second half of the great work after you take care of your own internal private you know and it's a process you do both halves at the same time you're never done with e either side but the first half being the internal work of your own thinking and your own vibration and what you're doing in your life around centered around you once that's kind of on track you can start working on other people around you and start saying magic words and leading by example and kind of maybe helping correcting certain things that's the second half of the great work, and you're going to make very, very, very fast pro process. If you start getting the second half of the great work right, and you start using the right magic words, then you'll rapidly, rapidly increase the whole world's karma. Would you, would you care to like break down what you just said in another way, as more layman terms Yeah, for me? So the great work is sort of an alchemical tradition thing. Um, you could see it as like uh, turning base metal into gold, like with a philosopher's stone. Okay. And this is all spiritual allegory referring to human consciousness. Right. And base metal represents uh, humans in their lowest, um, most egoic and hateful and violent form, like Gross beasts. Form. Yeah. And we can progress up that uh, spectrum into the higher dimensions. To the subtle form. Closer to God where humans are more loving and benevolent to each other. And the way that that is done is called the great work because it takes quite a bit of effort or con you know concentrated action. You have to intend to do it. It's not just going to happen by accident, but maybe the whole universe is sort of heading in that direction. You can really go about whatever direction you want to in this universe. So if you want to go to the loving universe, you have to first get your own mind in alignment with the natural laws that exist that are governing this place spiritually and physically in, in every way. Like the difference between right and wrong and whether or not it's a good idea to steal from people and to kill, kill people for no reason. Once you start figuring out these basics, let's say you're in a really low realm where everybody thinks is totally satanic, meaning they only care about themselves, their lower S self, the ego gratification and they that nothing everyone else's suffering or happiness doesn't even occur in their mind well let's say you're one of the first people to awake to the truth that the other people's suffering does matter and that if you don't want to suffer you should make um, efforts to easing the suffering of everyone else as well right and I want to do a small amount of terminology clarification that confused me in my earlier days because I, I really was drawn to uh, satanic practice or satanic notions after I watched uh, Zena LaVey and Nicholas Schreck's interview with Bob Larson, I want to say, in the 80s on YouTube. I've seen that. Oh, okay. And so like when I first saw that interview, I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. These guys are re – they're really on like the type of track that – because it was so such an opposition to the, like, the Christian ingraining that I was brought up with. Um, and so I finally was free to um, – to gratify myself 
in a non-guilty way, which was very, very valuable to me. Super, super valuable. And so there's like there's it's very important to uh, clarify the terminology of what when you're talking about selfishness. I would say, Nathan. And so like there is no such thing as unselfishness since we're all the same thing. We're all one soul, right? And so whenever you do an act of kindness to another human or to another being, that is a form of selfishness because you are that other thing, you know? And so I, I agree with everything else that you were saying, but I do want to do a, a, like a, a small, what I believe to be a, like a perspective, uh, my personal perspective on clarification of the term of selfishness because um, it is not a bad thing to care for yourself first in my opinion, it is very valuable. It is the most valuable that you find the God particle inside of you and that you love yourself in the same way that you are capable of loving others. Because right now, one of the major problems in the world is an imbalance of of thinking that you are crap and everybody else is deserving of your attention firstly. Um, you are all equal, and it is very valuable for you to understand and know that at the core of your being that there is nothing wrong with you and you are not born into sin. There is... You were not born crappy and have to work up. You were born um, with the task of balancing the gross and the subtle alchemical realms. You were you were piloting a very base and gross and manual robot flesh bag time suit thing, and and you are a very godly, subtle spirit that is pure celestial light. And so you have to find the marriage, the alchemical marriage of turning the baseness of your body's urges into the gold of your soul's purpose. No, that's beautiful, beautifully said, Joseph. I guess we'll leave with that. Getting kind of 